Thank you, Pastor Brian. Good morning, everyone. If you're not aware, this past week, Pastor Brian's birthday was this past week. So, happy birthday to you. And I know, yeah, why don't we give him a round of applause for all that he does? I know there is nothing that makes him happier than a lot of people coming to him after service to just say happy birthday. So, so please make sure you do that later today. 22 never looks so good. So, thank you, Pastor Brian. Good morning, everyone. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our sermon series called I Follow Jesus. It's a series where we are... Sorry, Don. Am I better? Good. Thank you. It's a series where we are looking at the Holy Spirit to study the role, the power, the place that the Holy Spirit has in our lives. And so this series is one where we have an opportunity to ask questions. We have an opportunity to dive deeper and learn and experience what God has for every one of us as we go through this series called I Follow Jesus. If you remember last week, Andrew was here and he was talking to us about this very important question. I follow Jesus, but why did he leave? And he took us through this idea of how God in the Old Testament was God before us, and God in the New Testament was Emmanuel, God with us. And then here today, as we live and breathe on this earth, he is God in us. He showed us this verse where he said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Think about who's saying that. That's Jesus saying, it's to your benefit that I go away. Why? Because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And so for these next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at this idea. The helper, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the advocate that was promised by God, the advocate, the helper who lives inside of each one of us. And this morning, the question that we're going to ask is a simple one. I follow Jesus, dot, 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 but why do I still sin? I follow Jesus, but why do I still sin? I think as we even ask that question, we're faced with this this dilemma in our hearts, this dilemma of, yeah, this sounds like me. There is someone that I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but yet there is something in my life that would probably disagree with the person that I claim to be. And there's something in all of us When we see someone claim to be something, and then they do something that's contrary to who they claim to be, it just looks off. It just feels off. It doesn't feel right. Something is off. Do you remember the first time you saw Tom Brady wearing brown pants? And you just knew something was off. This was not who he is supposed to be. Something is off about this picture. And when we see something that's off, we just start to understand this question of, I'm supposed to be something, but I'm doing something that's different from who I'm supposed to be. When my wife, Alyn, was going through her medical training, this is the first year of her residency, I remember she came home one day and told me about a colleague that she has, a fellow physician, who was extremely ill and couldn't do any of her work. So this physician was constantly hospitalized with these terrible infections and always sick. 
And as a team, they were trying to help her out and cover her shifts and help her out wherever they could. But no one could figure out what was going on with her. She was in her mid-20s, and yet she was struggling with these terrible infections constantly. It took a couple of weeks of intensive scrutiny to find out that she was struggling with a mental disorder called Munchausen syndrome. If you're not familiar with this, Munchausen syndrome is where a person makes themselves sick in order to gain attention. So what this young woman was doing was injecting herself with bacteria, with very awful, disgusting things in order to make herself ill so that she could gain the attention from becoming ill. Now, thankfully, she received the treatment that she needed to, but here's something the hospital decided right away. You can't see patients. Now, why is that? Because there's someone that she's supposed to be and yet there's something that she does that's contrary to who she's supposed to be. The first thing in the Hippocratic Oath was do no harm, and the first thing she's doing is harm. Therefore, she cannot do what she's supposed to do because of something that she's also doing. We've had a couple of presidents in this country who've lost their licenses to practice law because of lying under oath or being involved in a scandal. Yeah, you can still be a part of society. Yes, you can still be even president. But you cannot practice law because you violated the law, so we took that away from you. There's something in all of us that believes if you claim to be someone, you should do the things that that someone does. And so there's this big, giant question hanging over all of us right now this morning. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus, why do I still sin? Why is there still sin in my life? And what is the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this? If the Spirit of God, as Andrew said last week, lives in me, why do I still do things that don't really go in connection with who I claim to be? And so this morning, if you have your Bibles open to you, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7 and 8. The verses will be on the screen, but I'd love if you would just grab a physical Bible and try to find those verses because some of them are phrased a little more complicated today. And so it might be helpful to look back and see what Paul is saying in some of these verses. We're going to start with Romans chapter 8 verse 1. And then we'll move around a little bit from there. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says like this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And let's just stop there for a second. Because I think more than anything else that we say today, this might be the thing that some of us need to hear. This might be the truth and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you need to hear right now. Some of you are going through a season where guilt has overwhelmed you and you recognize this, this distance between you and God. And this morning, my friend, I want you to hear this. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This, be, this is because of what Jesus did on the cross. He separated us from the penalty of sin once and for what does that mean? He justified us. What does that mean? It means that he paid the price for us. The debt that you and I owed because of the sins we've committed and will commit 
was paid once and for all on the cross when Jesus Christ took upon himself the sin of mankind and went to the cross as the perfect, ultimate sacrifice. This morning, if you come here with a condemned spirit, with a guilty, overwhelmed burden on your heart, let me start with the good news this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I would be remiss if I stopped there, as if that was it. There's a little more to all of this that we need to unpack. And it starts with that word, therefore. If there's a therefore, there must be something before it that we're supposed to pay attention to. And so this morning, let's start by going back a little bit to Romans 7, verse 21. And I'll read from there. Now, as we read these verses, I hope you'll put yourself in the place of the person who's writing this. This is Paul, that Paul, Paul who wrote almost half of the New Testament, Paul who is considered to be probably the greatest follower of Jesus after Jesus left this earth, that there's no one that we've been able to compare to Paul, that Paul. This is what he says in Romans 7, 21. So I find this law to be at work in me, that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want us to pause there for just a minute before we pick it up in chapter 8. Paul, that Paul, is saying... That though I am a follower of Jesus, there is a war going on inside of me. That on one side, there is the spirit of the almighty God at work in me. He is living in me. He is advocating for me. He is counseling me, guiding me, strengthening me. And yet at the same time, there is this flesh, this sinful nature that also lives in me. So let's address one question right off the bat. Once I become a Christian, do I stop sinning? Paul is saying right off the bat, it's not like sin disappears. Temptation doesn't disappear when I become a follower of Jesus. He says the two natures are at war inside of me. That there is a struggle, a battle that's taking place inside of me at all times. That Paul is saying this. And as you and I sit here on a Sunday morning, and as you reflect back on the things that have happened even this past week, when you think about the lies we've told, when you think about the anger that ruled my conversations, when I think about the thoughts I've had this week, when I think about the actions that I've done, the words that I've said, when I think about the way I've talked about other people, I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but the things I do don't match up too much with that. And Paul is saying there's a reason for that. Because when we become a follower of Jesus, the spirit of the almighty God is in us, guiding us. The word Jesus used was helping us. 
But at the same time, there is a fleshly body at work that wants things, that desires things, that needs things fulfilled right away. I remember the first time I came to New England, one of the things that blew me away the most was how many rotaries we have in the state. I was shocked. I saw one and I thought, wow, this is really nice. And then I was like, wow, these are everywhere. And here's the thing about driving in a rotary, and especially if you use a GPS and you're driving in a rotary, don't you hate when they say, in 600 feet, turn right, and you look, and first of all, I can't even tell what 600 feet is, let alone, there's four rights that I could possibly make here, and I don't know which one it is. And so I find myself just going around and around in these circles, waiting to get to the place that I'm supposed to get to. And in the same way, Paul is saying there is a cycle in many of our lives that we should be aware of. A cycle that maybe if you're like me, you're very familiar with. A cycle that looks something like this. A cycle that starts with temptation. And temptation leads to sin. It's that text message. It's that website. It's something. The temptation that leads me to sin. And then that cycle continues with the guilt that comes from the sin. That guilt eventually leads me to cry out to God, God, forgive me because I know I've sinned. I know I've messed up. I've fallen short of who you are and the power of sin is at work in my life again. And every single time, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. He lavishes grace upon me. And he says, I love you more than you understand. So you have grace. And he forgives me. And then what happens? I get tempted again. And I sin again. And I feel the guilt again. And I ask forgiveness again. I receive grace again, only to be tempted again. It's this vicious cycle that some of us are very familiar with. And this cycle that Paul talks about, this cycle that we see throughout the New Testament, the cycle that you and I live regularly, it doesn't get us to where we're supposed to go because we're just going in the rotary over and over again. I don't know about you, but some of us have eliminated even steps from the cycle. And you're maybe in a place where you're tempted, and then you sin, and then you feel the guilt, and then you just get tempted again. And little by little, the cycle, the rotary starts to change. We're not really going in the same way we used to, but we're still going in a cycle. Eventually, for some of us, it just becomes a simple cycle of tempted, sin, tempted, sin. There's a battle that goes on in every one of us. There's a struggle at work in every one of us. And I want to remind you this morning that if you are in the struggle, you are in the place that the Holy Spirit wants you to be. If you are struggling against sin, then you are not in this place. You are in that first cycle where you are at the very least fighting, wrestling, pushing back, and struggling against it. Paul says like this, the struggle doesn't go away. In fact, he uses this phrase, the things I hate to do, I do. He's struggling. He's wrestling. He's fighting through it. And the reminder for so many of us this morning is God wants you in the struggle. He wants you in the fight. And for some of us who are struggling in the cycle, 
we think we're so far from God because we're struggling against sin. And Paul reminds us, no, this is the war. The war that continues until Christ comes and glorifies us. This is the war that continues. Sin doesn't disappear. With the power of the Holy Spirit, we struggle against it. We fight against it. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like in just a second. But why do we sin? Why does this still happen? We have bodies, Paul says, that desire the pleasures of sin. We have bodies that want that immediate gratification. and We've trained our bodies to experience it. He also says that the world we live in is sloped downhill. That means that we're constantly going in this direction even when we don't feel like it. And for the follower of Jesus, the battle requires me to never put the car in neutral. What happens when you put a car in neutral on a hill? It just rolls downhill. So what is neutral, by the way? That means where I'm just going to keep going to work. I'm just going to keep taking care of my family. I'm just going to do my thing. That's neutral. And what happens over time is that the wheels start to spin backwards. And Paul's saying the slope of this world is downhill. And if a follower of Jesus stays in neutral, they just go downhill over and over again. And that's part of the cycle, the war that's going on inside every one of us. He says we live in this fallen world. And there's a war inside of me. There is a spirit inside of me that wants to conform me to the image of Christ, who wants to make me more like Jesus, who wants to make me fulfill the purpose I was designed for. And there's also my flesh at work inside of me that wants to derail me from the purpose I was designed for. So let's continue in Romans chapter 8 and see what he says about our battle plan. There is a battle, but there's also a battle plan. Romans 8 says like this, We'll start with verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. There's a battle plan that's been given to us. If there's a war between 
the spirit and the flesh, which live contrary to each other in my heart, in my body, constantly. There is an opportunity that the Holy Spirit talks about for us to decide whose voice will have dominance in my life. Who will I listen to? Who will I obey? Who will I feed? Who will I spend more time with? Who will have the dominance in my life? And so Paul says these two things are contrary and at work against each other. And if you allow the voice of the flesh to rise up, the response to sin will be different. So how do we do that? Right now, even in your own hearts, think about how you battle temptation, how you battle sin in your own life. For some of us, the response to sin is to just give in to it. For some of us, the response is to move the goalposts, change the standard, redefine sin. For some among us, it's willpower, right? I'll just try harder. I'll just be better. But what does willpower do? In fact, when this year started, I set out to lose 10 pounds. I am very pleased to announce to you this morning that thanks to my willpower, I only have 15 more to go. <laughs> it's one of those things that we say to ourselves. Willpower, if I just try harder. But that's not what Paul says in this passage. He doesn't say, if you try harder, you will defeat sin in your life. In fact, the final verse that we read there, it says like this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, it doesn't say, but if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. It says there is a partnership, a tandem operation here. By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. This is not about my willpower. I know my willpower. My willpower only lasts as long as the next meal or the next thing I see in the fridge. My willpower falls short. And then even in that rare case where my willpower works, you know what happens? I start to trust my willpower. That's not what God wants me to do. That's not what he wants me to be. And so the word of God says, if by the spirit you do this. So it requires this relationship with the Holy Spirit at work in me, daily leading me, guiding me, being the strongest voice in my life that directs my paths, that puts me in the place where God wants me to be day by day that I start to grow in the way God desires for me to grow. We said this before, that when Christ went to the cross and died for our sins, he justified us. That means he, he separated us from the penalty of sin. But every single day, there's a process called sanctification taking place in our lives. This is a process of maturity, a process of being separated from the power of sin. And this morning, some of us need to be reminded that I cannot overcome the desires of the flesh by myself. I need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life every day, listening to his voice, being helped and counseled by him in order to get to that place that God has called me to be and who he wants me to be. There is a war at work in me. Imagine a heart transplant or an organ transplant. That heart is a good thing when it comes into that person's body. But what does the body do? 
It tries so hard to reject this foreign thing that's come into that body. And it'll reject it and reject it as hard as it can. When the spirit of God comes into you the day that you decide to follow Jesus. Your flesh, your body decides that is a foreign invader in my life. And the war just starts. But depends on who you let be the captain of the ship. Who you let be the voice that guides you through the process that ultimately helps us decide how we struggle. Look, I could easily redefine sin. I could give in to sin. I could use my willpower. But scripture teaches me to walk with the spirit and struggle against sin. So that means it's partly me. So I will set up accountability and guardrails in my life. I will make sure that I'm not in a place where I'm more prone to temptation and sin. I will put guardrails over my eyes and my ears and what I watch and what I do. I will do those things. But I won't pretend for a second that that's what frees me from this life of sin. It's the spirit of God at work in me who's making me more like Christ, who's helping me fulfill the purpose I was designed for. In fact, that word sanctification actually means the state of proper functioning. It's when you are what you're meant to be. So a pen is sanctified when it's writing. Eyeglasses are sanctified when they're used to see something. You and I are sanctified when we're in the process of becoming more like Jesus. And so this is why we do what we do. That we don't just refuse to sin because that makes me a better person. Because I know sin stands in the way of me fulfilling the purpose that Christ has called me for. Therefore, I do not want to fall back into these habits. So I want to become more like Christ. I want to hear the voice of Christ in my life more and more every single day. When my brothers and I were younger... We had a strict rule in our house. Our parents wouldn't let us watch TV on school nights, uh, like for a few minutes, maybe here and there. And they would also make sure that by 9.30 we were in bed, which wasn't convenient in the early 90s because our sports teams were really good then. Hasn't really happened much since then. And so we would be sitting in our home, knowing we'd have to go to bed by a certain time, and the Knicks were in the fourth quarter against the Michael Jordan's Bulls. Or the Yankees were in the eighth or ninth inning about to win a very important game and we'd have to be in bed. The only TV in the house was downstairs. So my brothers and I, speaking of sin, would get up in the middle of the night, sneak downstairs to watch the final innings or the final quarter of whatever game was on. We'd turn all the volume off, and we would watch the games, and we would air high-five each other. We would pretend to scream because we couldn't scream because our parents would wake up. And we'd watch the games and celebrate, but every once in a while, we'd hear noise upstairs. That means one of our parents is awake. If it was my mom, it was okay, because she would probably just be going to the bathroom or getting a drink of water and never come all the way downstairs to see us. But if it was my dad, we'd be in big trouble. But how did we know the difference? There was one floorboard on the steps in our house that was very loose. If my mom stepped on it, it made a very tiny squeaking sound. If my dad stepped on it, it felt like the floor was going to fall through. And over time, my brothers and I were able to recognize the move of my father simply by listening for that second floorboard. 
And over time, we figured out when to hide, when to go turn off the television, when to run up to our rooms. We figured all that out based on the sound of that floorboard. We recognized the move of our father because we'd heard it so many times. And when it comes to sin and the Holy Spirit, this is what we need to be. We need to be so attuned to the move, to the sound, to the voice. We hear it so often that we know when he's working. Look, Pastor Brian, Andrew, myself, we can preach about the Holy Spirit for weeks. But until you have a personal encounter and experience with the power of God in you, and what he wants to do in your life. All our words are for naught. I don't want to live a life that just goes in a circle. In fact, I would rather my circle look like the circle Christ has called us to. That circle has diminished the power of some of those arrows. When the Holy Spirit is working me, I still might go through that cycle. But every day I'm not going downhill with the wheels. I'm moving uphill. Because I'm diminishing the power of temptation, diminishing the power of sin, diminishing the power of guilt. I am living by the Spirit. The book of Galatians, Paul says like this, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is what we're called to do. That every morning I wake up and I just start talking to God. God, what is it that you want me to do today so I can be more like you? What decisions do you want me to make today so that I can be more like you? And through the day you're aligned and abiding in the vine. You're constantly communing with the power of God that's in you. If we're honest, most of us have been in this battle not using the weapon that's been given to us. The power of God at work inside each of us. And this morning, as our worship team comes back and as we prepare to close, I want to remind you of the best example we have of this. We all know the story of Jesus Christ going into the wilderness and facing the temptation of the enemy. We love those verses where he talks right back to the devil with these very poignant words of God. But we often ignore the context that Jesus was in. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 tells us how Jesus was in that place. It says like this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. How does he resist temptation and fight back against sin in his life? There it is. He's full of the Holy Spirit and he's led by the Spirit in the desert. It's not willpower. It's the power at work in us by the Spirit, you. And so this morning, as we prepare to close, this morning there's an opportunity for us to confess, to come before Christ and recognize the sins that separate us from him and the purpose that he has called us to. There's an opportunity for some of us to openly just repent and say, Christ, I know I'm far from where you desire for me to be. But I think there's also another opportunity an opportunity to engage the Holy Spirit this morning in the battle that you face. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. I know we're a little past time when we normally end. But if you are going through this battle right now, if you face the struggle 
the first thing I want to remind you, stay in the struggle. Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. People who are in Christ Jesus are in the struggle. Keep fighting, keep wrestling, keep struggling. But don't do it alone. The power of the Holy Spirit is available for you to guide you through this process. To be your helper, to be your advocate, your counselor through it all. And if I'm honest, far too often when my wheels start to turn downhill, it's because I'm trying to fix things and not allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he does. This morning, if, as our worship team is leading us in song, if you need to come up here to the altar, this altar will be open for you. If you decide today is a day when I want to start over, Holy Spirit, I need you. I want to seek an encounter with you this morning, then this altar is open for you. If you're more comfortable staying at your seat, please do so. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, we acknowledge that who we're supposed to be and what we do are often in stark contrast to each other. And God, this morning we come before you recognizing that we are sinners. We feel the weight of what we've done. We feel the weight of who we've become. But I thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, forgive me for all the ways that I am not in you. God, I pray for every one of us this morning who are going through a battle. Remind us, God, that we are becoming more and more like you each day through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us never take that for granted. God, I pray even this morning as we are entering a time of worship, that you would convict us, that you would give us a time to repent and turn back to you, but that most of all, you would remind us that the Holy Spirit is at work in us so that we can become more like you. Thank you, God, for your goodness this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise to our feet and sing together. Again, this altar will be open. If you need prayer, we'll be available for that. Let's come before the Lord and let the Holy Spirit do his work in us.